Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B-Squared and the host of the Sendcast. Each week, we're going to be talking about a different topic within the world of special needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to work in schools and to empower parents. In a world with less guidance, less money, lots more demand and continual changes, teachers, Senkos and leaders need a way to keep up that fits in with their lives and the Sendcast is the answer. In this episode, our guest Wendy Lee, a speech language therapist with over 30 years experience in a wide range of settings, will be talking about supporting children in early years with their speech language and communication needs. But before we get started, at B-Squared we've actually been developing our own framework for communication interaction and this is a huge topic, is when we actually looked at all the different topics around communication, it's actually much bigger than people realise and that means there's a lot more thought needs to go into it. So if you'd like to find out about our communication interaction framework, please visit the B-Squared website, which is www.bsquared.co.uk. Now on with the podcast. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you for having me. So speech language communication is obviously a key skill that is developed in the early years, but not all children are starting school with the skills needed. How sort of widespread is this problem? Okay, so we know that there are around 7.6% of all children with developmental language disorder, which is a a long-term condition where children really struggle to learn and acquire their language. In addition to that, we know that in areas of social deprivation, and you can have upwards of 50% of children starting school with poor language. So some of those may have a developmental language disorder. Some of them may have language disorder associated with other conditions, but others will just have language difficulties maybe because of environmental factors. Maybe they haven't had a lot of conversation at home and maybe they haven't had experiences of going out and about and learning about new things and talking about new things. They might not have had books at home, all of which we know are really important to support children's early early language development. So in some areas, it's very, very widespread. And for all of those children, regardless of the reason behind their language difficulties, the long-term impact can be kind of far-reaching. So we know, for example, that children with SLCN, speech, language and communication needs, do far less well in things like reading and writing in the year six sets than other children. So it affects them in, in that way in terms of their learning but also in terms of their social interaction skills and um, social, emotional, mental health. So it's a, it's a huge thing. And we know also that language can be a huge protective factor for those children in terms of uh, mental health and also attainment at school. I suppose with a lot of children in early years, it's going to be very uh, easy to sort of see which children are talking a lot and which ones are quiet and limited vocabulary. But you've also got those quiet ones who are unsure of talking or... Yeah, definitely. So I think what's really difficult is that, you know, children are still developing at that age. So, uh, you know, between the starting school at sort of a nursery school at three and sort of going through the early years foundation stage, there's still a lot of development going on in terms of the language. A lot happens in those early years in language development. It continues through primary and secondary, but slows down significantly. And so sometimes it's difficult to tell whether children are just on that typically developing trajectory, but a little bit slower than other children and they will just kind of catch up of their own accord or whether there is something else going on. Sometimes as well, children are just quite good at hiding their difficulties. So certainly what I see in terms of children with developmental language disorder and and, and other language difficulties is that they may do things like avoid the role play area because that's where lots of talk happens. They may find themselves, you know, in the outdoor area sort of 
on construction um, areas or in some of the gross motor areas or kind of running around on bikes and so on. And so they they can kind of choose where they decide to play and, and maybe choose areas where there's less pressure on them to talk and interact with the other children because at some level they know that they find it difficult or maybe they don't enjoy it. So it can be difficult if you've got a big setting with lots of children to really spot what's going on. I think also teachers don't have an awful lot of information about typical language development. There is in the early years, the foundation stage profile. So there's much more information available in that phase to kind of observe children and see what they're doing. But it can be difficult to identify children. Yeah, definitely. One of the things as we researched our communication interaction framework, you have sort of the various letter sounds and the typical ages these skills develop. But you have these percentiles and some of them went on really a long way before 90% of the children. You're literally going, well, a child could be up here and therefore within the norm, but actually there is probably an indication of a difficulty there. Yeah, so if you're thinking about speech sound development, again, there are sort of typical norms that 50% of the children will have achieved these sounds by this age and 90% by this age. But again, it kind of oversimplifies things a little bit because it's not just about which sounds the children are using, but it's how they're using those sounds in their system. So you might get a child, for example, who can make a, a, a sound at the end of something like cars, which is sound but they might not use that sound in, in other areas in their speech. So it's about the pattern of the speech that they use. They might say C, but they can't say star because when you've got two sounds together at the beginning of the word, it just makes it so much more complex. And so it's not just about which sounds they use, but it's which sounds they use in which positions, in words, in what sort of patterns before you kind of really know whether they're on that typical trajectory or not, which is complicated, you know, it's complex. I think the thing to bear in mind if you are an early years practitioner or a teacher or a or a parent is can you understand can you understand what your children are saying are they getting frustrated do you have a look at the typical development trajectory and kind of think about it in those terms and do seek some advice you know there are your local speech and language therapy departments you can call and say you know this is what's going on I'm not quite sure where they are where they should be so yeah definitely look at what's typical and interrogate it a little bit I would say. So there's lots of um, areas within speech language communication needs there's the actual using words so actually saying but there's also the understanding isn't there? Yeah so what we've just talked about is about speech so speech sound development that is just about using speech sounds in the right positions in the right words across a system of sounds. If you think about language we're thinking about do children use particular words have they got a good vocabulary but also do they understand a good range of words are they understanding their vocabulary? We're thinking about, do they understand, if you um, say a long sentence, will they understand, you know, go and find your coat or go and put the big lorry underneath the second shelf down? You know, the second example has got lots of language in it. The first one, actually, you might not need to understand any words because typically at playtime you put your coat on. So it's really working out whether the children are picking up on the routines or whether they're picking up on the words that are being spoken. And in the early years, you can get by with understanding the routine very well, even though you don't understand the words. So it looks like you're understanding when actually you might not be. So yeah, there's lots of levels of understanding. You know, do you understand a story when it's been told to you? If somebody asks you why your character's behaved in a particular way or what you think might happen next, do you understand enough to be able to think about that and use inferencing skills? Can you understand some of the subtleties, some of the nonverbal skills? So when somebody looks cross or when somebody looks happy, do you understand those nonverbal skills as well? So lots and lots that children need to understand 
understand. And then the other flip side of language is then talking. So can you put a sentence together? Can you put a couple of words together? If you are not using words, can you sign? Can you put a couple of signs together? If you're using other communication methods, can you use those to communicate your needs and wants? So there's all of that side of things. And then thirdly, there is around social interaction. So we've got speech, we've got understanding of language, we've got putting language together to, to talk. And then we've got communication, which is around interacting, playing together, sharing space, um, taking turns, listening, using eye contact in an appropriate way. And all of these skills are developing. So I'm sure we've all had examples of sitting on a bus with a two-year-old that shouts something not particularly helpful uh, that you kind of think, oh, maybe you could have used a quiet voice there. You know, children learn that, don't they? They learn that as they develop. I'm sure we've all had experiences of being on the telephone and a, and a five-year-old coming in and talking while you're talking to someone on the phone because they haven't quite realised that, you know, it's not the time to talk now. You might have to wait a couple of minutes. So those non-verbal skills around interacting and communicating are, are things that these young children are learning as well. So it's complicated. It's it's the most complex skill we ever learn. And these little children are, are developing those skills over that over that time in the early years. And is, is this expression of themselves as well? Well, completely, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'm from the north and when I first moved to the south, I was judged for my northern northern accent. You know, I sound different and people kind of make opinions of you because of how you, you sound. That's the, the world that we live in. And, you know, it's the same with children, you know. If a child doesn't say very much, sometimes people think, well, maybe they haven't got very much to say. And that's not always the case. And also it is about children, as I say, using their language to make their needs and wants known. So it's really important that children are given not only the skills to do that, but the opportunity to do that. You know, the early years is a very busy place and it's easy, I think, to get to the end of the day and some children not having had opportunities to talk. So there was some research done a number of years ago as part of a programme called Every Child a Talker, where they followed young children who uh, had limited language in earlier settings and found that they spent very little time talking either to adults or to their peers. And so those children aren't really getting the practice that they need in order to develop their language skills. Yes, lifelong effect. Completely. So we know that the early years is really important in lots of ways and can impact on children through primary and all through, through, through secondary school. And we know the same about language. If you've got limited language in the early years, then that can impact right across um you know, primary and secondary schools. So yeah, it's important. So some of the things that are useful for people to do in the early years is to think about the communication environment. Sometimes people kind of assume that that's about the physical environment. So having uh, visual cues up there, having uh, spaces, having uh, like quiet spaces and so on. And it is about all of that, but it is also about having those opportunities to talk. So time with, with adults talking to children, facilitating talk between children. Sometimes they need some help with that. It is about the way in which we as adults use our language. So there is lots of evidence around the fact that if we use the right sort of quality of talk, it can really support children's language development. Now, the caveat to this is that there are some children that will have language difficulties no matter what. And these strategies are helpful for them, but it's not going to magically make them learn language overnight. But these things are really important. So things like 
you know, following the interests of a child. So if they say something, you follow that interest using open questions. So things like who and where rather than closed questions like what's that? Using commentary. So commenting on what the children are doing so that you're showing that interest in what they're doing and it gives them some space to talk. Just leaving a bit of silence. Uh, I think sometimes people are a bit frightened of pausing and leaving silence, but the children quite often will fill that, particularly those children who are maybe a bit quieter. They just need that little bit more space. There's a brilliant tool that people can use called the Communicating Supporting Classrooms Observation Tool. It's got a long title, but that's free to download. You can look at that and look at the setting and see whether the environment really is supporting the communication skills of the children in there. So lots around the communication environment, lots around adult talk, And it is about the quality of the talk that we use with our children, not just the quantity. It is about just making the best of those everyday experiences. We were talking earlier about going to the supermarket. You know, that can be a fun activity where there's loads of language that we can um, encourage in our children. Having little games in the cars, not always going for the technology to kind of for the children to look at. But what do we see out of the windows? Playing those games that we would play years ago to really sort of support children's language. So lots and lots that we can do to think about using our language that to kind of support the children around us. Sometimes it's when you ask a child a question, they don't actually know how to answer because they might have been asked that sort of question before. So sometimes when if you sort of play alongside the child, you can talk about what you're doing and therefore you're actually modelling the child what sort of things they can say. Exactly. So modelling is really, really important because like you say, what you're providing is that kind of template for the children to put a sentence together. The children with speech, language and communication needs, regardless of why that is, the best thing that we can do for those children is to think about where their starting point is. So it's that usual thing for children um, with SEN is that kind of assess, plan, do, review. So let's assess where they are. What what, what level is that? Is their language at? Okay, so let's scaffold up from where they are. Do they need some visual support to help them access the curriculum? Do they need a visual timetable so they know what they're doing so they're not frightened by the uncertainty of the day? Do they need pictures and support so that they know where to find equipment? Routines are really helpful for those children and attaching language to those routines really helps them. Talking about things like how people feel really support the children's social interaction skills. So if we can talk about how our actions impact on other children in a simple way, it really supports their understanding of social interaction skills. So trying things out with children that have got SLCN, planning how you're going to fit that into the curriculum makes a huge difference. So um, there are a whole range of strategies that are very effective that can be easily slotted into the curriculum. Shared reading is brilliant for children. So not just reading a book, to children, but sharing a book and talking about it, involving them in the story, involving them in what they can see on the various pages, talking about that. And again, not directing their uh, thoughts around that. So we're just doing some work at the minute um, on a research project and uh, we're doing some shared reading with the children and have kind of modelled this session for 10 schools now. So 10 groups 10 to 20 groups of uh, five children that I'm kind of with. There is not one of those groups of children that came up with the same description of the uh, of the story. They all came up with really imaginative, different ideas of where the story was going and what was happening. And these were all children with uh, kind of limited language, but they have got lots of creative ideas of what they're seeing in front of them. And our work as adults is really to facilitate that. I do remember a child-led activity. I remember... Um, long time ago when my daughter was at nursery and uh, the nursery invited us in for this new early years curriculum and it's all child-led and they had this video modeling this child-led they were building monsters and the child's doing it. at the end of it the the, uh, the adult with the children went where's the monster's body so 
the child went and added the body. And it's like, that's not child-led. Mm. You've told the child they've done it wrong. Children are amazing, aren't they? They take things in directions that you just kind of wouldn't wouldn't imagine. And, you know, part of what our role is, is to support them to understand what it is in front of them and and also to facilitate that sort of creativity and, and play. I'm seeing a lot in the early years of almost less opportunity for the children to play. And it's such an important thing um, for their cognitive development, but also uh, for their language and communication. And as I say, our job as the adult is to is to facilitate that, that communication. I think the other thing that's really important in the early years is things like storytelling, which I've mentioned already, but sh- sharing stories, but also nursery rhymes, singing. Those things really develop the underlying skills for reading. And what I see more and more in early years is lots of phonics, which is really important, but almost at the cost of some of those, those other skills, which kind of are the foundation for phonics. So phonological awareness skills, knowing how to rhyme, knowing how to hear the rhythm in language, knowing how to listen out for different things. So whether things uh, have got the same sound at the beginning of them, it's nothing to do with letters. It's all to do with sounds and being able to manipulate and hear that and play around with it is really important in the early years. It's interesting. Mm. So when you sit and listen to that, and I've not been aware of it because I've never learned about it, not speak, but it does make you think, actually, there's a lot in that. There's a lot of things you do as you listen to songs Especially when you don't hear the lyric, you're trying to trans, um, trying to understand it and work it out. You are using all those skills. You're listening to, well, it could be that, but it could be that. And trying to decipher that information. Mm. But it's an important skill to be able to use that and understand that. I mean, if you think about it, when children get into key stage two, for example, and they're using their phonic skills to decode a word that they've never come across before, unless they've got some knowledge of syllable structure, for example, how would they know how to break that word down into its syllables. So those things are really important to build the foundation in the early years. You know, I meet a lot of children that don't know what a sil- how to beat out a syllable, how to dance to a rhythm, and those things are really, really important. It's also when you say those words, so reading it is one thing, but actually then saying it. So I remember secondary school, the word, long word we learned was anti-establishmentarianism, I think. And it's you've got to say it in the correct way. It's got a flow to it. Yeah, and you break it down, don't you? Anti, well, I know how to spell that bit. You know, you break it down into its syllables so you can read it and spell it. But if you've got no syllabic knowledge, it's very difficult to do that. Yes. It took so, a while reading it going, what? How do I attack this? Yeah, yeah. definitely. So those those skills are all, so again, that, that phonological awareness, all of that stuff to do with syllable structure and rhyme and rhythm is are also foundations for clear speech. So quite often, if we've got children that we work with with unclear speech, we'll be working on those foundation skills too, both generally, but also in relation to the specific speech sounds that they're struggling with. So they're, they're really important skills and, and I think easy to, to lose if we're not careful. Yeah, definitely. My head's buzzing with all this stuff at the moment. <laughs> so there's identifying. You've mentioned making sort of um, lots of uh, the visual around the classroom our setting, but also giving lots of opportunities to talk. I suppose you, you need to give opportunities for direct conversation and indirect. So asking someone questions, making them open is good, but also then that modelling indirect is also really powerful. And asking for the, yeah, I suppose where the story is, all that sort of stuff is where the story is going, but it doesn't have to be stories. It could be, so my daughter's nursery, they do lots of going down the woods and that is huge. That's just really um Lots of thinking, lots of, and they do stuff with fairy doors and who lives here? The kids are shouting out ideas and it's just, I suppose at that time it's looking for those quiet children who aren't shouting out the ideas and seeking out those children. Yeah, I mean, I think, as I said, 
you know, we're thinking about children's speech and the clarity of the speech. We're thinking about their language. So do they have words and sentences? And the, the kind of next step on on from that in, in children is narrative skills. So it is about storytelling, but it's about the storytelling we do every day. So I went to the woods today and guess what I saw and who was there and what happened and then what happened and oh, and at the end it was so exciting. So it is that kind of narrative structure and some children, again, if they don't have that narrative structure, don't know where to begin with their story, whether it's retelling a story that they've heard in a book or retelling the story of what they did in their day or retelling the adventure that they had in forest school. You know, it's it's a similar kind of process, but without a narrative structure, without an idea of... You know, when you tell a story, you set the scene, you say who was there and you say where you were. And then you put in the episodes or events that happened. So this happened first and then this exciting thing thing. And then there was a problem and we had to resolve it. And then so it might be that there's a problem in the story. It might be just a tale of what happened. And there's always an end point. So, you know, there is evidence around storytelling categories, so story grammar categories that children develop over time. And that is the narrative structure that children need to retell stories. And again, there's evidence around the children's ability to retell stories in the early years is correlated with how well they read and write later on in their education. So it's, again, a very important foundation skill and one that we can support children with through helping them with that narrative structure, but also giving lots of practice, lots of exposure to to different types of stories and retelling stories. So again, really, really important for children's long-term language development. So we talk about lots of positive things. Are there things people shouldn't do? (laughs) I think, you know, if you like children and if you like spending time with them, which hopefully every early years practitioner does. Fingers crossed. um, You enjoy the conversations that you have with them because actually they're just great. You know, it's just great having conversations with young children because they they come out with things that you could never predict. So it is about, you know, doing that from your heart and and, and kind of spending that time with the children. What's not terribly helpful is getting children to just try and label things for the sake of it. So say cup you know, or say plate or say apple, it's not particularly meaningful. You're much better to give a nice clear model. If children are unclear, it's not that helpful to ask them to repeat things time and time again. Again, it's much better to just give them a really clear model. If you are concerned about children's language, whether that be their speech, their language, their communication, if they have disfluent speech, if they have a stammer, you know, you must much better to try and get some support. So referring and again, I know that services are stretched out there, but my suggestion would be is that you attempt to do that anyway just to get the advice if you aren't sure what to do then there are various websites that give you some kind of idea of how to refer and how to go about it so yeah I think generally speaking we're all doing our best but there are some things that are much more helpful than others I would say if you go away with anything it would just be just try and have more conversations with children And try and have those conversations at their level so it's not flying above their heads. We are really scaffolding from where the children are and building up from there. If children are really struggling, put your visual support in place. Try and keep things simple for them so that they can access what's going on. If they need alternative or augmentative communication methods, try and build that in. So symbols, signs. It doesn't necessarily mean that those children aren't going to talk. They can facilitate children's talking in the long term. Or for those children that are not going to get there, it really does mean that they can access what's going on they can interact with others and I suppose when you're having those conversations it's back to that modelling so rather than just coming straight out with what did you do the weekend actually start with well I had a great weekend I went to here and here and here and as you're telling that that's going to help them think of things to say 
And it's going to help them go, oh, I did this. And it has, so it helps them prepare that. And then you go, oh, what did you do? Or they might even volunteer that information because you've just modelled it for them. Yeah, children like to hear about what adults, well, to a to a degree, they like to hear what adults are up to. And I think, you know, again, there's some research around, you know, when you're having conversations with children, um, use those kind of, it just sounds like, oh, really? <gasps> that, you know, and then just leave loads of space because that allows the children just to kind of fill that space with what they've got to say. So, yeah, those things work really well. The other thing that's really helpful is trying to link things to the children's own experiences. That really helps with their understanding. So if you are reading a story, trying to make the links with that story, or if you are sharing some information about yourself, you know, trying to link that with something that you know that the children are going to understand, that really helps to to build those kind of internal structures to build their understanding and to help them remember. I remember asking my daughter in the early years, did you do a day at school? And the answer is not a lot or silence. So I started adding in at work, I did this and trying to find something that they might be interested in. So you're sitting there telling about your day and then again, it might jog something. So we we did that and it's gone on more. So when when I travel, I'll say, I'm going up here. It's near auntie. And that way they kind of have a rough idea of where I am, how long it took me to get there. And they go, oh, Take care, Daddy, because they're realising it's, it's just using that information and modelling. And then over time, what they say about their day's grown, yeah. which has been great. And they also, they start asking me how my day was. I'm not volunteering it anymore. Yeah. They're starting to ask, and it's just building those conversation skills, which they're going to use forever. Yeah, completely. And, yeah, it is a support in our children. I used to say to my children, tell me one good thing that happened today. Or is there anything that didn't go so well, you know, so that they've just got that opportunity. It really hones it down because without a question, most people, if you say, did you have a good day or what did you do today? Children will be like, they're tired. It's the end of the day. I don't want to talk about what I've done all day. You know, why are you asking me? But one good thing. Yeah, I can give you that. I don't know about you, but my children would always start to give me great long conversations at bedtime when it's just too late to have a conversation. So it's kind of planning for that. Teenagers are even worse with that. They come to have conversations with you at two o'clock in the morning when you really don't want to do that. You know, it's balancing all of that out and planning for it, I guess. But yeah, there the will be children with uh, SLCN, speech, language and communication needs in the early years. It's thinking about how as a setting and as a school, we plan for that and ensure that, you know, we're identifying the children who do have difficulties, planning what that looks like for them, we're putting some strategies in place and, you know, also reviewing, are those strategies working? There are interventions that you can use in the early years to support children's language, but it's actually remembering to review that. Is it working for your children? Is it taking them to that next step? Are they progressing well? If not, why not? What else do we need to do that's different? So again, with the children with special needs, or even the children just with, you know, maybe not special needs, but very poor language, that assess, plan, do review, where are they? Let's plan something, let's do it. Let's review it, make sure the progress is is what we need it to be because we know we can make progress with those children. I think sometimes that means putting other things to one side. So sometimes there are difficult decisions to be made about prioritising language above other things. But actually, if you have a cohort of children where 80% of them have got poor language, they are going to struggle in the long term. They are going to struggle with maths. So maybe um, it is about prioritising language work and then when they get to it, they will they will access other things more quickly and more readily. I know when I sometimes look at school data and they're massive miles ahead of the English, I'm looking at that going, I get they might be good at maths, but to be that level of difference, the English skills need to be there for them to understand, them to explain and give that information that needs to be there. So they can't be huge as well. Generally, communication needs to lead. I'm a speech therapist. I'm definitely going to say that. But <laughs> um, without it, children might be good at, at certain aspects of the curriculum 
but actually it will come to a point where the language will potentially get in the way of that. And I think for children with SLCN, you know, our our language and what we do, what strategies we put in place are the ramps that enable them to access the curriculum. Just like if you've got a wheelchair user, you'd put a ramp up your steps. You know, it is about giving those children the access to the curriculum through the things that we can put in place to support that. And then alongside that, developing their language, helping them make progress. And that might be with your speech and language therapist, with your teachers collaborating to kind of build their language skills as they go through. So we're coming to the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Is there anything we haven't covered, anything that's standing out going, I really need to mention this? It's not that I can think of. <laughs> I'm already worrying that my daughter's going to start coming into my bedroom at 2am, start asking me questions. That's yeah, really just worrying me. just get ready me. for that. 13. How old my daughter is. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for coming on to the show today. I, I do love all these podcasts. I love it because I'm, I'm learning so much and I sit there and it makes me think about my life, my children and actually things I might have done not knowing why. Mm. Maybe Super Nanny told me to do something. I didn't understand why. And as I talk to all these experts, I'm finding out that's why I did that. That's the benefit of that. That's, oh, now that's oh, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. And yeah, it goes back to various things. Communication is really important. Obviously, you are going to say that. I am going to say that. But I, I do feel that as a parent or a teacher, it's the greatest gift that we can give to our children. And I think, you know, children don't come with an instruction manual. And definitely I've spoken to parents who are anxious about how to communicate with their children or what to say to their children. But we know our children best as parents. You know, we know what they're interested in and just following following our children's interests and just talking about our day, you know, filling them up with language is really important. They're not going to learn that from the TV. They're not going to learn that from an iPad. They are going to learn that through interacting with parents and caregivers. I think a lot of reflection. So, um, when we were recording this, we've just finished half term with my family. And I always sit at the end of the half term, we actually talk about, we've had a great half term, haven't we? We think about all the stuff. It helps them see positive things. It also is that chance to just think about all that and have that conversation and find out what they enjoyed. And it's rich. It's really important having those conversations because they're going to go on at other places and they've got to make their own decisions without you. They've got to weigh up benefits and everything of each thing they do. So conversations crucial and when it comes back to those difficult times for your children if you are having those conversations if the child is able to talk to you that's going to help the social and the emotional side as well yeah definitely and that starts in the early years so you know i think babies arrive and they don't speak but the way in which they learn to talk is by interacting with adults you know they make a noise we make a noise back that's communication and those very early um, conversations that we have with babies and toddlers and then our young children are the really strong foundation for the, the you know, like you say, the times when maybe teenagers are struggling, you know, we've got that foundation of a really good relationship and that really good communication that we've started in the early years. So yeah, early years are really key. And as, as I say, lots of evidence around the importance of the early years foundation stage generally for children's learning and development right across the primary and secondary so really really crucial and earliest practitioners are fab and working with lots of them at the minute and they do they do a wonderful job excellent i always loved going into my daughter's school in the reception year and going on that wood walk it's just fascinating not just seeing my daughter but all the children it was great it's also meant to be fun I was, I'm working with somebody at the minute and she said, I stand outside any earliest classroom that I go in and I listen to see if I can hear children's voices and laughter. And if I do, I think it's probably a pretty good setting. So it's a good definition. Not a bad definition. So 
Thank you for coming on the show today, Wendy. It's okay. Um, so we've mentioned various websites. We're going to be putting a load of links in the show notes for people to get more information. Sorry, can I just mention there's um, a website called Lucid. It's a, a group of universities working together around early language acquisition, and they've done some great articles with Nursery World around early language, things like book sharing, um, early language, early vocabulary, and so on. They're very, very easy to read and, and, and not a bad starting point if you're interested in, in that area. Make sure that's in the show notes as well. So we'll be putting a load of links in the show notes for everyone to read. That's going to be on our website. So that'll be on www.thesendcast.com. I can't 100% remember if it ends up in the show notes on the other platform, but it's definitely going to be on our website. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can go to our website, www.thesendcast.com. And you can also sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date with the latest news. Alternatively, you can follow us on Twitter, at The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, on Instagram, The Sendcast. LinkedIn, for some reason, you just search for Sendcast. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with us, uh, let us know what you think of us, what you want us to hear, what you want to hear about, anything else or experiences or feedback, please drop us an email to hello at thesendcast.com. If you'd like to get in contact with Wendy, you can go to her website, www.lingospeech.co.uk. You can email her, wendy at lingospeech.co.uk, or you can follow her on Twitter at lingo underscore speech. So big thank you to Wendy for coming along. Thank you. And if you enjoyed this podcast, have a look at our conference that we run. So we run a virtual conference. We access it over the internet. It comes to you rather than you having to travel halfway across the country, just getting stuck in traffic, much easier. But we run it like a normal conference. So we have keynotes, we have afternoon sessions. But what's great about it is, is everything is recorded. So you can either access it on the day, and we run it twice a year in March and November, but you can also access it whenever you want. So if you've got an inset day coming up and you want something on uh, PDA, which is a session we're running in March, you can watch that video whenever you want and use that in your staff training. So you can buy tickets for future events. You can buy tickets for past events, always available. So the cost for each conference is £60, and this covers the entire school, not per person. As a listener to the Sendcast, we are offering you a 10% discount by just using the code SENDCAST10. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. 